Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. (laughs) Welcome again to Gamble On weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And as our listeners know well, I don't bet big, usually 10 to $20 on a game. And you don't bet big, John. You used to be a $5 better. Now you're a $10 better, <laughs> uh, unless you're chasing a big so-called risk-free sign-up bonus. Uh, but we are both absolute whales compared to one Caesar Sportsbook mobile customer. David Purdom of ESPN reported that last Thursday, a better wagered a single penny on the Chiefs on the money line against the Chargers. Uh, the Chiefs were minus 205 favorites, so the win should have come out to just under half a penny. But Purdom reported the book rounded up, uh, and that means this clever better game the system. He got even money odds on a minus 205 bet. Uh, but seriously, John, a penny? What possible reason could anyone have for wanting to bet a penny on a football game? Well, you know, you're seeming to think this guy's conservative, but what if there's another guy? And when it comes to stupid bets, it's always a guy, obviously. Um, right. <laughs> he bets two cents on a game. Then decides it's too risky, so at halftime he hedges it down to a penny. That would be, I think, even more <laughs> pathetic. But um, yeah, I'm stretching here. Um, a fan of Charlie Sheen at his rock bottom years ago, or wait, that was also his peak, wasn't it? But uh, Charlie used to love the word winning all the time, winning, winning, and you know, this way, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think my favorite outcome of this would be that some dumbass made a wager with his pal that he didn't have the nerve to make a hundred bets in one week or something like that. So this guy tests the waters here, and now he'll try to raise the stakes in the bet because he knows I can make a thousand bets in a week. Not even worry about it. Yeah, I guess so. So betting volume, you're saying uh, just the. <laughs> yeah, I'm reaching here. I, I yeah. Got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I have to reach too. the the only way that betting <laughs> that betting a penny makes sense to me is if you're having a side competition of some sort, sort of like our, our fast five competition and you're betting a penny just so there's a record at the digital sports book of which sides you picked. I, I guess I could see maybe doing that. Otherwise, I don't know. There, there's, there's not a human alive who gets a sweat out of having a penny on a game. <laughs> no, <laughs> not even me. <laughs> no. The question is, is this better now going to get crazy and let the whole two cents ride on the next game? And, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and could you imagine if they win that one, maybe go nuts with a four cent bet the week after? Um, I don't know. Ideally, the books are supposed to be careful about this. So if he wants about a quarter the next time, they might want to set up a notification that, um, are you sure you want to do this? This is a little out of your element here. Um, you might want to, you know, we're going to, uh, put you on hold for 24 hours so you can think about the consequences of your uh, attempt here. Yeah. That was uh, unusual betting patterns. They would be picking up on there. Uh, yeah. I mean, if he goes up to a quarter, you have to assume Tim Donahue is probably involved somehow or something. Uh Oh, that's not going (laughs) All right. All right. All right. I went too far. All right. Um, Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 210 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 209 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please take a minute and give us a five-star rating. And no, four and a half-star ratings do not round up. 
Oh, good to know. Um, so coming up a little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by a, the American Gaming Association's Vice President of Strategic Communications and Responsibility. That's Kate DeBon. Uh, it's Responsible Gaming Education Month this year. And we'll ask Kate about growing RG awareness, problem gambling helplines, and how mobile technology makes problematic habits actually easier to track and more. But first, it's been a way too chaotic for me week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Would-be bettors who live in Massachusetts showed a lot of patience waiting for their legislature to pass a sports betting bill, but it finally happened over the summer, and now they're having to show additional patience waiting for sports betting to launch. The optimism from some that it might happen early in football season was short-lived, and now, because of a flaw in the wording of the bill, the process is set to take longer than almost anyone expected. The law allows for 15 digital operators, eight tethered to either a casino or a racetrack, and seven standalone platforms. However, in what is presumed to be a simple oversight in the wording of the legislation, there is no cap to the number of temporary licenses for standalone platforms that the state can issue, which means there could be more than seven that get temporary licenses and pay a million dollars for those licenses and start going through the process of preparing to operate only to be ultimately told they've been denied a license. It could get messy. And as Jill Dorson wrote on Sports Handle, until the commission finds a workaround, progress toward a launch date will likely be stymied. John, when we talked about this topic right after the legislation passed, you and I were looking at the Patriots schedule and debating between various late October or November launch dates. Care to send a new line on when Massachusetts will launch? And any thoughts on this potential mess that's been created by sloppy wording in the bill? Well, you know, I say always expect the worst when it comes to states meeting sports betting launches uh, or some argue with anything in life. And you'll never be disappointed. But also the more states out there that have actually launched a little over half of them now. Right. The nuttier it seems to me that lawmakers in other states are trying to reinvent the wheel here. You know what could go wrong? Oh, well, here's one. So, you know, my joke from years ago about how legislators should just take New Jersey's law, cross out all the New Jersey references and pencil in their own state name doesn't have to apply anymore. There's a smorgasbord of different nuances to choose from in different states. And maybe even you combine segments of the law from several states to make an even better you know, combination. Uh, but this, uh, I don't know. Now, assuming they can't just voluntarily stop after the seven license and not even issue anymore, uh, this could take the rest of the calendar year, I think, uh, with the, you know, the legalities involved. And without Tom Brady around, look, end of the calendar year, that's pretty much the end of the Patriots football season, that's for sure. Yeah, it seems, seems that way, most likely. Uh, so, I read a little deeper and it seems some are interpreting it as the sports books might be able to operate with a temporary license for up to a year and then get shut down. And I don't know. I mean, who wants to pay good money to take that risk? It, it's crazy. Yeah. Commission chair Kathy Judd Stein said, this is a construct that was never intended here by our legislature, but I haven't found a reasonable workaround. Um, what I would suggest, you know, what makes sense to me, though I have no idea how possible it is to cut through the red tape to make this allowable, but what makes sense logically is to have the commission accept applications and then meet to decide which seven are most worthy of licensing before the temporary licenses are issued. I don't know how possible that is, but it's certainly the sensible path to not wasting everyone's time and money. Um, but Look, you know, this is this is our government. This is how it works or doesn't. Uh, nothing ever gets done easily. And a dumb rule that nobody thought through can't just be quickly fixed and reworded, even if everyone agrees it needs to be. So uh, to the people of Massachusetts, I say you will have your sports betting eventually. It is coming. But keep your expectations low as to when. Yeah. And I agree that um, they, they should. There's no operator. I don't think that should be that upset with the idea that, you know, they they can get stuck in this limbo. Right. So it seems to me if they if they sort of announced what you said, that we're going to first figure out who, who we want to approve and then you're going to get the temporary approval and then move on. And if you're out, you're out. But at least you'll know. I, I think right. that, you know, especially, you know, obviously there's two or three or four that are clearly going to win. And then uh, the rest are kind of borderline. And I, I think if you're borderline, you just want to know. I mean, you don't want to waste any more time. And frankly, mm -hmm. you don't want to waste any more resources, which you don't have unlimited amounts of uh, because you're you're a smaller fish. So uh, it, compromise seems like it would work out but I'm still betting the under on 2022 Massachusetts sports betting. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, it'll be 2023. I guess we're on the same page there. Okay. Uh, for our second story, we go from a state that's moving slowly to the state that's always furthest out of the curve, New Jersey. Uh, two new apps have debuted in the Garden State in the past week, and neither are traditional mobile sports books. One we've talked about in the past and even interviewed their founder, uh, that's Sport Trade, whose CEO, Alex Kane, was on the podcast a couple of months ago. Sport Trade was narrowly beaten to market by Profit Exchange, but Sport Trade is slightly different and has leaned into calling itself, quote, the first and only dynamic sports trading marketplace. Basically, what makes Sport Trade different from other exchange betting is how it provides market makers to ensure liquidity in any game's market. Um, a few days later, another innovative gambling option, Mojo, launched in New Jersey. Uh, John, you spoke to co-founder Bart Stein this week and got some insights that uh, everyone can read on NJ Online Gambling. But in short, Mojo lets customers invest in a player and then buy or sell them with their value changing from game to game based on stats and updated projections. For now, it's NFL players only, but Mojo intends to expand that. Uh, in brief, before I weigh in in more detail, I'll just say, wow, is this different from any form of sports betting offered in the US so far. Uh, John, thoughts on sport trade and Mojo? And as a Jersey boy, are you contemplating opening an account and playing around on either site? Well, I just love how the lifespan of an exchange on sport trade is a few hours until the game ends. And a mojo exchange is based on the lifetime achievement of the player. Yeah. So I mentioned Jalen Hurts in my mojo story. Uh, stock and him might be bought and sold for at least a dozen years before the final results are in. You know, talk about two different extremes. Uh, and along with profit, I think all three of these to me are a breath of fresh air in a marketplace, you know, with two dozen sports books and almost all of them have been pretty darn similar. And the late to market ones have been saying, oh, we're different because we got a more you know, customer friendly platform or what, but I don't know how much different they really are. These are different from the big boys as well as different from each other. So as far as what is most likely to attract my feeble amount of money, uh, probably Mojo, uh, mainly because I've held stock in a pair of huge companies for a dozen years or so now, and I profited quite handsomely without ever lifting a finger. That's appealing to me. <laughs> yes, I think that should be appealing to anyone. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I suspect that if and when either of these come to Pennsylvania, I'll probably give them a try. I enjoy something a little fun and a little different. Um, you know, I, I was only using three sports books in Pennsylvania. That was enough for me. But when points bet finally arrived here, hey, that's something different. I want to try points betting. It looks fun. So I made a deposit there. Uh, and then I won my quote unquote risk-free bet and immediately withdrew the amount I initially deposited and left the winnings in the account so that the worst I can do is break even on the site. Uh, but anyway, um, I don't know if exchange wagering is for me, but the VIG comes out low. So that's good. And I'd be inclined to give it a try, especially if they start offering boxing markets and I can look for edges on a sport that I feel I know better than the average user. Um, Mojo, as I hinted already, strikes me as weird as hell investing in a player. It's so strange. It kind of feels like a grind rather than a thrilling sweat. But again, it's something different. Uh, so I, I won't know if I like it until I try it. Um, one other note on this topic from, again, a friend of the podcast, David Purdom. Uh, he wrote about exchange wagering this week, and he noted that Profit Exchange saw a 117% increase in volume from NFL week one to week two. So it's clearly going in the right direction. But as some insiders speculated in his article, these aren't sites where you can turn a little into a lot with a big parlay hit and the sites aren't able to offer giant deposit bonus offers. So these apps may have trouble finding an audience beyond the sharps. I, I don't think these are necessarily going to be huge mainstream betting options, more kind of smaller niche options. Uh, it seems to be the direction they're headed in. Yeah, I think Pennsylvania, Michigan, because they've proven to be pretty open minded in terms of, uh, you know, innovative gambling options, including online casino, which only a half dozen states have. I think they're they might be two and three or at least in the top five to have this. So it's, it's coming elsewhere. And uh, yeah, I've, I've seen some pretty good analysis, too, about, you know, whether like the Jalen Hurts example, if, if that's your favorite guy and you're a big Eagle fan or whatever, didn't you draft him in the first round or second round of your, your fantasy draft? Aren't you playing him in same game parlays every week? Like you're, you're investing in him constantly. Do you really need to go this route? I think that's fair. I mean, I, I wonder if they really want to focus on kind of uh, uh, 
uh, well, in, in one example, day traders and another example, uh, traditional stock market people, but just people who, who, who like to invest quickly or slowly, uh, the, the two extremes, rather than getting the regular sports better, who, as you say, they like parlays and combos and long shots and, and uh, incentives and all kinds of other things. So I don't know if it'll work, but it's worth a try. And there's some pretty smart, pretty wealthy people uh, behind these things. So uh, they made money already. Uh, one of them uh, created diapers.com many years ago. And that sounds like it would be probably worth <laughs> something. That's a, it's a pretty good marketplace, right? I mean, uh, oh, you know, that was a fad. People really, they're not really into the diaper <laughs> thing anymore. I, I'm pretty sure they're still into the diaper thing. So uh, so we'll see what happens. But I, I like to see it. Innovation is good. And uh, let the marketplace decide. If this stuff isn't any good, then uh, they'll go under. And that's, uh, that's free enterprise. It is what it is. Yeah, good analysis, and and along the way there, you uh, you confirmed that you weren't uh, just blustering uh, the other week when you said you've never played fantasy football. Uh, you 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 made that clear because uh, nobody nobody drafts a quarterback in the first or second round. They start going maybe in round four or so. Jalen Hurts was like a, a fifth or sixth <laughs> round kind of pick this year. So uh, you you've confirmed your claim from the other week. <laughs> right. All right. Our third story this week will be a quick glance at polling in three different states. First, the big one. A recent independent survey in California indicated that Proposition 27 is in trouble, as 54% of those polled said they oppose it, and only 34% said they support the online sports betting measure, while fewer than 40% said they consider sports betting an important issue. Uh, There's also lukewarm interest in sports betting in Minnesota, where an independent survey found 48% wanting legal sports betting to come to the state, 33% not wanting it, and 19% undecided. And finally, in Ohio, where sports betting is coming in a little over three months, a statewide poll conducted by a local NBC affiliate found 84% of Ohioans don't plan to bet on sports, uh, which doesn't strike me as a particularly telling number one way or the other, as in every state, the people who don't bet sports far outnumber the people who do. Anyway, John, are the California measures feeling doomed right now, about six weeks out from the election? And any thoughts on Minnesota or Ohio? Well, you know, most ballot questions around the country are hard to predict because the majority of voters don't even know it's up for a vote. So they're in the voting booth or in some states now, you know, when they fill out a ballot beforehand. But in California, it seems to me the typical voter is liable to roll their eyes and vote no on anything about sports betting because of all the negative advertising they're getting bombarded with. So mm-hmm. it seems like the tribes and the sports book giants are like Thelma and Louise riding off the cliff at the end of the movie. But at least in that case, they decide they want to crash together, right? Here, they'll each be grabbing at the wheel or maybe trying to unbuckle their damn seatbelt just in time to escape. But I don't think that's going to work and uh, i think they're going off the cliff together hmm. no uh no spoiler warning for the folks out there who haven't seen Thelma and louise huh? <laughs> yeah. although i, yeah, guess I think pro- there's about a, tw- I mean, yeah, a 25 year gap where it, it at that point i think you know it, you can probably uh, go with it uh, you know. <laughs> yeah that's fair not to mention the most famous thing about that movie is the way that it ends pretty much everyone uh, knows that at this point whether they've seen it or not i guess um so so i'm looking at the ohio poll and finding that it, it helps inform us about the other polls, I think. You know, if 84% don't plan to bet on sports, it makes sense that under 50% in a lot of states want to legalize sports betting. Like, you know, in Ohio, that means 16% would absolutely have voted yes on a ballot measure. But then it's like, what portion of that other 84% are thinking, yeah, live and let live. It's not my thing, but go ahead and make it legal for others. And what portion is thinking, no, I don't like it. I don't want it here. And of course, the people with that attitude surely don't realize that it is still happening illegally, regardless of how they would vote. But, you know, it shows that in every state, to me, I I think that's the key to passing a measure on the ballot is, is getting voters who don't really care one bit about it, about being able to bet on sports, getting them to understand that it's happening no matter what, and regulation makes it safer and keeps the tax money in state. And then on top of that, if you can convince them some of that tax money is going to a worthy cause, like the homelessness problem in California, that might push you over the 50% mark. But it sure seems they've failed to communicate those points in California it's probably too late to change the messaging and, and the emphasis, add in both political parties opposing it. And I don't know, I, I'd say it's something like a, a 10 to one on underdog that that one of these measures passes in November. And uh, if indeed it, it fails to pass, that is a lot of money poorly spent by the big op- online operators uh, if, if they don't get across the finish line. 
Yeah, I was going to say, at first, I didn't believe for a second that more than 80% of residents uh, in Ohio won't bet on sports. But wait, if they have spent their entire adult lives betting on the Bengals or the Browns or the Indians or the Blue Jackets to win a championship, then they don't have any money left to bet. So maybe that's right <laughs> after all. And finally, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota, I think legalization advocates should be encouraged by that. Uh, that number seems pretty good to me. And if the Vikings petition to the NFL to be banned from primetime games for the life of Kirk Cousins' contract were to succeed, you know, maybe a Vikings Super Bowl appearance could be the offing and that would put a sports betting bill over the top for sure <laughs> there you go yes kirk cousin in night games uh stay away from it betters uh, or take the other side i guess that rather than stay away from it it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview Prior to 2022, the American Gaming Association used to celebrate Responsible Gaming Education Week. But this year, the AGA has expanded it to an entire Responsible Gaming Education Month. And that month just happens to be September, and we're in the midst of it. Joining us now to talk about RG education from a variety of angles is the AGA's Vice President of Strategic Communications and Responsibility, Kate DeBon. Kate, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks so much for having me today. So, Responsible Gaming Education Month is also the first month of NFL season, and I assume that's not a coincidence. Uh, The AGA on September 7th released its annual survey data about football betting projections. And one thing that stood out to me and John was the major increase in people who say they've seen or heard something about responsible gaming in the past year. How high on the priority list is this for the AGA to, to normalize the term responsible gaming and make it a part of the mainstream conversation? Uh, That's a great question. What I'll say is that advancing responsible gaming and our leadership among our membership uh, around it is one of our four strategic pillars. It's that important that it, it, you know, you open our strategic plan and number three is around responsible leadership. Uh, And I don't think that RG has been more clearly at the forefront of what our members are doing and how they're prioritizing it uh, than at any time in our industry's history. And that is reflected in the work that we're doing. Uh, And in large part, why we went from a week to a month. Um, Our commitment has grown around consumer education and employee education and instilling a culture of responsibility among our member organizations. And that comes from the C-suite. You know, I have conversations with our member CEOs all the time about what we're doing in responsible gaming, how they're addressing it uh, within their organizations. And I can tell you that from when I started three years ago today, um, especially in the mobile and online space, we've just seen a lot of growth in the size of the teams working on this this issue. And that's because it's that important. So when those survey results came in, was it kind of what you were expecting that awareness has gone up that significantly over these last couple of years? I would have been surprised if it hadn't. You know, I, I see it myself. I, I, I am asked more often uh, to talk about responsible gaming just around, among the industry, but and we also see it among, you know, our members with Have a Game Plan. We launched Have a Game Plan Bet Responsibly, our public service campaign at the end of 2019, and it's grown to more than 30 partners, and we'll have some announcements to come the rest of this month. And that gets everybody involved in RG and, and singing kind of from the same song sheet, you know, set a budget, set your, uh, keep it social, know the odds, play with legal licensed operators. And when you hear that message over and over again uh, across different channels, it, it resonates and it, it hits the players, you know, as they're engaging with our product. Uh, yeah, I want to ask you, uh, Kate, about whether AGA has a stance at all on um, kind of having a national compulsive gambling hotline number, whether it's 1-800-GAMBLER or something like that. I, I've thought about it and I've heard about a lot of panels and, you know, it seems like a person who is in urgent need of uh, making a phone call to somebody is in a lot of distress. And if they don't know the number, you know, like if they just know, like I just hit that number and, you know, get started, you know, at the start of a process, but if they don't know it, you know, I don't know if they're going to be too sort of uh, scrambled around to really be able to focus and, and find it, what it is, know which state they're you know, So is the, there anything uh, going forward on that front in the industry and, and, you know, what's AGA's role if there is one? Sure. We don't want anybody who is at a place where they're seeking help to wonder, do I call the number of where I live? Do I call the number of where I'm gambling? Uh, and so it's been a priority that our members brought to us back uh, at the end of uh, 2020, when we started talking about this, where, um, 
they, you know, as legalization of gaming has grown, especially sports betting and advertising has increased, you know, the helpline is being seen more and that's great. That's an important resource for those who gambling is no longer fun or entertainment. And, you know, they came to us and said, right now the regulations require us to have a different number in at least 12 different states. It becomes this, you know, number soup and it makes it so the font is really small and, you know, not an actually effective resource. So, you know, we put out a position, you know, statement last summer about this, that, you know, the industry supports, a, you know, regulation that allows for uh, a national or multi-state advertising, a singular helpline. Uh, and there's been a great response among the regulatory community about that. They understand the need. They understand how gaming has grown to be more national, especially with advertising. Um, so we were you know, ahead of that and have been working in concert with NCPG and Keith White and his team um, to take some other next steps. You know, uh, NCPG previously had their number. 1-800-GAMBLER was used among a number of states. Uh, I was encouraged and glad to see NCPG and the council in New Jersey come together and, and you know, make 1-800-GAMBLER the new number. That comes with a lot of next steps, though. We want to ensure that, you know, the infrastructure is in place so that um, those call lines are equipped to receive, respond to, and document assistance for those who need help. And we want to make sure that, um, you know, when you place a call that you're connected to the right place at the right time in a timely manner. And so that's something that the industry continues to kind of focus on and, and work with Keith on and um, continuing to educate regulators. There's, you know, among the helplines, they've been around for a long time and there's a lot of pride and credibility built up in some of those numbers at the state level. Um, and so understandably, some of the local organizations are less or a little more resistant to adopting this national number. And the thing is, those local numbers don't need to go away. They still exist. These numbers still connect, you know, 1-800-GAMBLER is still connecting into them. It's just a matter of providing a resource so that people who are seeking help aren't wondering, where am I? What number do I need to call? Yeah, I uh, wonder, there, there's an opportunity here, I think. You know, obviously, ideally, this would have happened in 2018, but when, uh, you know, New Jersey won a Supreme Court case. But at the same time, even though it's, uh, you know, the fall of 2022, we got California, Texas, and Florida don't have this. So mm -hmm. um, don't have the, the legal uh, betting yet. So mm -hmm. if if those states, you know, walk in legal with the, a standardized number, that goes a long way toward, uh, you know, the percentage of people in the United States who will have it. It may not be 100 percent, but at least it's ahead of that. So is that something that is in the works already or is it too early to get started on that? So we're, you know, right now, I think more than 160 million Americans live in a state with legal sports betting and um, the live states it's a little bit lower than that but more than half the adult population can place a bet in their state today um and we're just continuing to support what ncpg is doing to you know get 1-800-GAMBLER um kind of we call it helpline harmonization uh, so that all those numbers are working together and and getting folks the resources they need um the work that the aga has been doing especially our members is you know educating regulators and you know today more than a dozen states allow the use of 1-800-GAMBLER in advertising and that's an important step there's a few big ones out there you know new york has has their helpline massachusetts is determining how to approach this um but I think it's one of those things where it reflects the collaboration across the RG community. Um, you know, you'd think there'd be a lot of, you know, most people would say, oh, you and Keith White talk to each other. Like that doesn't seem, you know, it seems like you two should be at odds. And when we're not in certain issues, there's places where we can come together and, and see that by collaborating, we could deliver a better experience for those who need help and educate those who are, you know, learning how to bet so that it, it stays fun and, and a safe entertainment experience. All right. So I'm curious, are, are there any parts of the gambling industry that you fear are expanding too fast and kind of growing at a speed that responsible gambling can't keep up with? You know, certainly in the digital age, change and innovation happens quickly. So are, are there any points of concern on that front? That's a, a great question and one that kind of flips on your head because um, with digital and the growth of whether it's mobile gaming or digital payments and retail, it actually provides more resources for responsible gaming. We have more insight into player behavior. We lose kind of that anonymity. Like I can go in, if I go online to bet, any operator knows who I am and they know what I'm doing with their, their platform. And um, so it gives the ability to empower players with self-limiting tools. So deposit limits, budget limits, time limits. And it also provides operators more insight into behavior. So is there risky behavior happening, unusual behavior? Has there been a number of, you know, deposits canceled or withdrawals canceled? 
Uh, so I'm excited about how our operators are taking that technology and working with um, academics and other advocates to learn from it. And I think you'll see a lot of that come out um, in the coming months as the New Jersey DGE um, offers some new best practices that require, um, you know, an RG team in place that is responding to um, unusual behavior that um, puts kind of auto triggers to say this thing is happening that should mean you provide this message or this kind of intervention. The good news is a lot of that already exists among what our members are doing. So we're not creating something new. We're already there. It's just a matter of formalizing it against the best practices being put out. The one area that, you know, I continue to think about and we need more of is on research. Um, we know we can't build effective, responsible gaming programs if we don't know what's effective. And so, you know, we've seen an influx of funding around um, responsible gaming research, but that just needs to keep growing so that we can understand, you know, what impact does legal sports betting have and how can we make sure that, you know, it remains the same that, you know, the vast majority of adults enjoy it as entertainment. Right. Okay. I mean, that all certainly makes sense that you can track it a lot better with all the digital uh, assets that you have. But at, at the same time, from a better's perspective, and I say this as someone who much prefers gambling online over in person, typically, um, the speed at which you can do it obviously, on online is obviously so much faster. If you're at a sports book, right. you might bet before the game, have a seat. Maybe you want to get up and bet the second half or something like that. But online, especially with in-game betting, you can be putting a new bet in every few seconds, basically. So is that something that the AGA really has its eye on as how do we keep this from spinning out of control? It's something that, um, you know, we want to pay attention to. Um, you know, one of the things that we have to all remember is this market is only, what, four years old, and a lot of the states are only a year or two old. And so we're still learning how players interact with our product and want to make sure that the responsibility is always at the forefront, but at the same time, need to understand you know, what is the best player experience that still provides responsible um, measures. And that means, you know, keeping, we want to make sure we keep folks in the legal market because if you put, say you just decide to get rid of a type of bet or you put in some, you know, really strict restriction on how to bet, that doesn't mean people aren't going to bet. You know, they're, they're just going to go back to Bavada or whatever website that they can easily find. And we want to make sure that we still have a competitive product while prioritizing responsibility and the tools that come with that. So that's something that, you know, I think every operator is thinking about and, you know, also wanting to see the, the research behind, you know, what type of bets are more risky and how can we help, you know, monitor for that behavior and um, build our understanding of, you know, what works and, and where we need to implement perhaps more messaging or more reminders or what have you. Okay. Uh, yeah, your your company members, uh, is there a feeling that it's 100% up to all of them to get the word out on responsible gambling, to help out, to, is there any uh, anything beyond that that the American public can get information from or should get information from that that would help this even more? Or is it really just up to the AGA members? It goes beyond our membership, something that, you know, I've been here at the AGA for three and a half years. And one of my primary focuses has been that, you know, reaching out across, you know, we have the operators and suppliers and vendors that are the industry, right? But now there's this whole ecosystem around sports betting that has brought it mainstream. There's leagues, there's teams, there's media. Um, there's a lot of different voices and businesses at the table. And, you know, my role has been in making sure they know they have a responsibility for responsibility. Um, it's why we built to have a game plan in a way that, you know, we can, you know, give it to or partner with PGA Tour, NASCAR, NHL, um, other teams and media companies. Uh, one of our great partners is Nesson, uh, the New England Sports Network up in Massachusetts. And they've been airing an ad, you know, even before sports betting got legalized because they knew people around their state were betting. And um, it's been great to see organizations take this seriously and understand that to build a sustainable marketplace, responsibility has to come first. You know, my perspective is that um, if you financially benefit from legalized sports betting, legalized gaming, whatever it is, you have a responsibility for responsibility. Um, and that the same goes, you know, for regulators and for advocates, you know, we're all part of this. It's not if the industry is doing responsibility alone, we're not doing it right. And, you know, we need to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table and is informing how we do this and educating customers. So I'm excited to see that continue to grow. Like I said, we have a few more um, have a game plan partners coming on this year and we'll continue to, you know, grow, uh, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And, and that's one of our top priorities. 
Yeah, I mean, getting on my own soapbox, you know, I would love to see, you know, some schools have a pretty good financial literacy course for, say, juniors or seniors in high school. And, um, you know, a lot of it is great. I mean, the danger of credit card debt, something every teenager should mm -hmm. learn about, obviously, power of compound interest. I wish somebody had told me that many years ago, you know, putting aside, you know, 10, 12 bucks a week when you're 18, 19 years old, it's going to grow to, you know, X in 40 years and all that. Uh, but then even as a, as a subsection of that, you know, I think talking about gambling and treating them somewhat like the young adults they are. I mean, if they're watching sporting events, they're bombarded with advertisements about it. They know what DraftKings is, they know what FanDuel is, they know what Caesars is, here in New York, New Jersey, that's for sure. Um, so they're not unaware of it. And so, you know, I think just explaining to them how to be responsible about it is something that I'd like to see. But again, that's my own soapbox. But that's right. You know, parents need to have conversations about a lot of topics with their kids. And now I have two kids myself and someday we'll have a conversation about what this is. And there's also learning in it. I was, um, I came across this woman the other day who's teaching um, women how to play poker because if you learn how to play poker, you learn about risk-taking in a way that may not be inherent for women. And so there's other things you can learn by learning about, you know, responsibly sports betting or gaming or whatever it is and how to keep this entertainment because it, it is fun. It is something that, you know, adds to, to life and, you know, gives you a little kind of thrill when you're playing. And um, I'm, I think it's something we just need to continue to talk about to make sure responsible gaming is at the forefront. Absolutely. Well said. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Kate. Uh, where can our listeners go to, to learn more and get themselves properly educated on responsible gaming and the AGA's efforts? Sure. AmericanGaming.org uh, or HaveAGamePlan.org. We look forward to, you know, building that that audience and coalition and, and we're excited to see what the next year holds. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on uh, Gamble On. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kate. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. And I believe the word I'm searching for is blech. Uh, we had a lousy week. Uh, it started on Thursday Night Football. I bet Josh Palmer over 44 and a half receiving yards. He got enough opportunity, but dropped a couple of catchable balls and didn't break any big plays. Four catches for 30 yards. Not good enough. We lost $114. I also lit 20 bucks on fire with a parlay of Kelsey, Juju, and Mike Williams, all to score touchdowns in the game. And only Williams did. Uh, I will get back to the topic of parlays in a minute. Uh, but first, continuing on with last week's bets on Saturday, big swing and miss on the CFL. Uh, you had the Blue Bombers minus eight against the Thai Cats, and they lost outright. Uh, that costs us $165. On Saturday night, we split my boxing bets. I had Canelo by KO at plus 195. Instead, he won over the distance. But my semi-hedge on no knockdowns in the fight at plus 115 was a winner. So we lost $60 and then $146, a net loss of 14 And lastly, Sunday NFL, I made the bet two weeks ago on the Saints to beat the Bucks at a nice plus 160 price, but the price only matters if the bet wins, and it didn't. We lost $80 on that. So fairly horrendous week. We lost $393, putting us down by $3,287 overall. We have $1,325 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $5,388 available to bet with this week. But before we start betting, a word on parlays. Uh, I went through the spreadsheet, uh, the big list of every bet we've ever made, and totaled up all the parlays. And the results are every bit as bad as you'd expect. Uh, I'll note that the parlay bets are mostly mine, but not quite 100% mine. There was one college football parlay a while ago that I assume was yours, John, and one recent golf parlay on three different people to make the cut that was yours. But I think the rest were all mine. And counting the $20 I just lost on the Thursday night football parlay, we're at a loss of $957, which is less than your golf bets have lost, but there have been far fewer parlay bets, maybe like 25 of them compared to about 200 golf bets. So the loss per bet is way higher. Um, however, I did separate out teasers from parlays and on teasers, I'm at minus $78. So those are fine, I would say, within the margin for error of being profitable. Parlays, 
Not so much. I ought to quit parlays other than maybe the occasional risk a little to win a lot stab. Uh, John, your comments? Uh, well, I think you ought to quit parlays and I ought to quit making season-long futures bets. That would be my observation. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we did total up. I didn't, guess we didn't do all season-long futures, but at some point we totaled up just like our win total over-unders across various sports, and we were pretty bad on those. So uh, this is good, though. You know, we're learning some things to focus on and some things uh, to never, never bet on again. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, let's get to this week's bets. Uh, and you're up first, John. So what do you got? Well, I think my worst bet in our four plus years was happens to be the 2021 Ryder Cup a year ago, when I like the veteran Europeans to intimidate the young American squad. Um, I know that young golfers don't scare these days. And the US won a 19, in a 19 to nine route. That was brutal. Uh, so let's even the score. Well, no, because I've learned from my overconfidence. Uh, uh, to not bet so much, but still the idea of 20 year old South Korean Tom Kim, who this summer announced he wanted that nickname because of his love for Thomas, the tank engine books, uh, leading a stunning upset by the non-European international players over the U.S. in the President's Cup. Uh, only 30 units at plus 700, though, as the foreign squad was even more dented by the Saudi Arabian live tour uh, defections than the Americans were. Looking at you, Cameron Smith. Uh, so uh, I want to go with that. And also uh, top top point score among Americans, another option. And it's independent of whether the Americans win or lose. Uh, a lot of the 12-man squad here for the U.S. has little to no success at this Quail Hollow course in North Carolina. So give me KG veterans Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, who may be paired a lot so they would get points together uh, in this category. A 20 on JT at plus 650, 20 more on Spieth at plus 800. I expect one of those to cash, so it's still a pretty good net profit. All right. So uh, several several little uh, bet a little to win potentially a lot. Hopefully one of those comes in um, for my first bet. I'm looking at Thursday night football between the Browns and Steelers. And I've got a sweet eight leg player prop parlay. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding, John. Um, I'm instead going to do uh, a, a, a single player prop. Uh, Najee Harris who's been hobbled since the preseason dealing with foot injuries in two games. He's rushed for 23 yards on 10 carries against Cincinnati and 49 yards on 15 carries against new England. He's averaging 36 yards per game and under three yards a carry. And yet his yardage line for this game is in the mid fifties, presumably because he went in the top 10 of most fantasy drafts. And people think of him as the Najee Harris from last year. But so far, he isn't. And the Browns have a solid rush defense. Nobody in two games, not even Christian McCaffrey, has gone for more than 50 yards rushing against them. So I want to bet the Najee under. At first, I saw under 54 and a half yards at DraftKings at minus 115. I kept looking and points bet has it one yard higher, 55 and a half with superior juice on the under minus 105. So uh, a reminder to always shop around and we will go under 55 and a half rushing yards for Najee Harris, $105 to win a hundred. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to retire from the CFL plays until the Grey Cup title game in a month or so. Okay. Let's focus on college football for my other pick. I think that USC band of renegades seem to be on to something here. So give me minus five and a half at Oregon State at 115 to win 100 to get that number on DraftKings. Okie dokie. Uh, and for my second bet, uh, you know, I've been a relative believer in the Jacksonville Jaguars this season, John. Uh, they were my favorite pick in the Fast Five last week and they shut out the Colts. They're not a great team, but they're better than most people realize. They play in the worst division in football. I honestly consider them the slight favorite right now to win that division. Uh, so I happen to love a bet that I made in real life that you will surely hate. A four-team parlay of the Jags to win their division, plus the Eagles, Chiefs, and Bills all to win theirs. I got it at just about 18 to 1 on Sunday. But anyway, that's not part of the bankroll. Uh, I love the Jags on the money line this week. They're as high as plus 265 at Bet Rivers against the Chargers in L.A. And to me, this is close to a 50-50 game. Uh, the Chargers have the least home field advantage of any team in the NFL. And, man, if you watch the end of that Thursday night game against the Chiefs, uh, there were some plays where Justin Herbert with that fractured rib cartilage could barely move his arm. I expect he'll play Sunday, but he'll be compromised and one or two good sacks and he could come right out. And Chase Daniel isn't much of a backup and – I think the books are really selling the Jags short at plus 265. So let's take some advantage and bet that money line. $60 to win a nice 159 on the Jags money line. 
And speaking of this week's NFL games, we finished the show with the Fast Five, where John and I seem to be in the midst of a body swap. Uh, I had a very 2021 John week two, and John had a very 2021 Eric week two. Uh, John went one and four to drop to three and seven through two weeks. He won big with Houston, lost by a point with Kansas City, missed by a bit with the Bears, and missed by a lot with the Titans and Vikings. I went two and three to put my record at five and five, but instead of being happy to have the lead, I feel compelled to point out that I won by about four touchdowns apiece with the Bills and Jags, lost by one point with Pittsburgh, and got screwed by two of the epic Sunday collapses as both the Ravens and Raiders were on their way to easy covers and choked it away. So I feel like I should have gone four and one, or at worst, three and two. Instead, I went two and three which is the kind of speech you made at times last year, John, while I would have been thrilled sometimes with an unlucky two and three week. Um, but the record is the record. It all tends to even out over 18 weeks. For now, I'm five and five and you're three and seven. Still a very long way to go. And you're up first this week, John. Yeah, this is the first time. This is our fifth year of picks that I've ever been this far under 500 at any point in any season. Yeah. So I'm a little disoriented here. Um, I was not that way really until the double Monday night debacle. Uh, you know, it's three and five, but yeah, probably four and four level. Okay. Not great, but, but those two were, you know, what am I doing? So after two weeks, do I need to revise my sense of at least a dozen teams? I mean, it's tempting, but uh, I don't know. So here goes anyway. Well, admittedly, I'm not finding five picks to love. Uh, I'm learning a little bit about how you must have felt for about 12 weeks last year. <laughs> yeah. So uh, first uh, Ravens minus two and a half over the Patriots. Uh, the Steelers are bad and the Patriots did not impress me with them uh, in that you know, close cover uh, Titans plus two versus Raiders must win for both teams. And gee, one of these teams always finds a way to win when they have to. And the other one doesn't simple as that a Texans plus two and a half versus the bears. Davis Mills is not nearly the 32nd best quarterback that many seem to want to label him still. Uh, and Justin Fields is worse than Mills, for example. So there's a winner um, 49ers minus one and a half versus Broncos. I really like this one. Uh, 49ers Super Bowl odds actually improved on some sports books. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy G takes over replacing Trey Lance, a quarterback count me as part of that crowd. And meanwhile, there's trouble brewing in Mile High City. Rumblings already. It's a disaster. And I'm surprised at this line. Uh, Cowboys plus one over Giants finally on Monday Night Football. I like this one a lot, too. The Giants could just as easily be 0-2 instead of 2-0. Yet the giddiness in the New York market just can't be stopped, it seems. Cooper Rush can carve up the Giants defense. And Daniel Jones, well, he's no Davis Mills. <laughs> nice. I, I agree with you, by the way, that Davis Mills is a, is a bit underrated and underappreciated uh, throughout the league. But so interesting, the um, this makes three weeks in a row that we've picked four games that are totally separate from each other and have one game where we're going head to head. That may or may not be good news for you, as uh, so far I'm 2-0 in our head to heads, but uh, we, we'll see. That's a pretty small sample size. I actually had eight games this week that I liked and had trouble deciding which five to go with, but uh, here they are. And, and I'll go a little out of order um, in terms of the timing of the games, because I just want to get my obvious one out of the way first. Obviously I'm taking the Jaguars plus seven at the chargers. No need for further explanation there after my money line bet with the bankroll a few minutes ago, um, getting back to the Sunday early games. I'm on the wrong side of the hook with Carolina at plus two and a half, but I'll go with it anyway. Uh, the Panthers have been right there in both games. They lost by two to the Browns, three to the Giants, both on game-winning field goals of 56 yards or more. They're pretty good for an 0-2 team, but that 0-2 record has them underdogs at home against a banged-up Saints team. This is a must-win already for the Panthers. I'm getting points with them at home. I will take those points. Uh, and next up, my third straight underdog pick this week. I like the Lions getting six in Minnesota. This is going to be a high-scoring game. The Lions offense is tough to stop. Uh, I don't talk about my fantasy roster, of course, but I will just say that that guy on the Lions that everybody wishes they had, I have him. Uh, that's all I'll say. Anyway, the Vikings are probably the better team, but six points is too many. This should be a close game, or at least I can sneak in the back door. I'll take Detroit. Uh, now I go to a favored team, a road favorite, in fact, and I'm hesitant to pick this. It feels like a very square side, but 
it's okay to be a square every once in a while, right? The, the square side can win too sometimes. Uh, so I'm taking the Chiefs minus five and a half in Indy. Uh, not a whole lot of explanation required here. The Chiefs are one of the top two teams in the NFL with a top two quarterback. The Colts look like crap so far. Matt Ryan has been on the decline for several years, and Jonathan Taylor isn't all that helpful if you're playing from behind. So, you know, like I said, call me a square, but I don't think Kansas City is favored by enough points in this one. Um, And lastly, our head-to-head, the Monday night NFC East showdown. Uh, Are the Giants for real at 2-0? I don't think so, but I like them to go to 3-0 anyway. I think they are a bad matchup for this depleted Dallas team. Cooper Rush, he got his one win last week. I don't see McCarthy and Rush getting a second straight. The Giants are favored by just one. So basically, the Superbook spread is asking us which team we think will win. And I'm saying it's the soon-to-be 3-0 New York football Giants who would then become one of the worst 3-0 teams in modern league history. Uh, And by the way, they play the Bears at home next. So if they win this one, they could be 4-0 before they play the Packers at Lambeau and they start coming back to earth. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Kate DeBond. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, you know, for those who haven't read them, I've posted a pair of articles on njonlinegaming.com in the first two weeks of the NFL season about how how and why I bet a $1,000 risk-free bet in week one, even though, as noted earlier, I'm really like a sporadic $10 better. Easy enough to find on Google with the website name, my name, $10 better, sweat-free, et cetera. But, so uh, put it on freeze if you like and come back. So <laughs> anyway, welcome back. And uh, I got to say, this underscored not only that it's crazy to bet $1,000, even with the supposed sweat, but the fact that I won money and I still was miserable I think is worth understanding, you know, uh, uh, long story short, I thought I made a hedge of a thousand dollars. I didn't, I won anyway. Uh, the plus three, uh, Steelers broke even and the minus two and a half Patriots won. So I sort of won $900, but then it turns out I screwed up and bet on week three instead of week two with the Steelers and, uh, thousand dollars. So yada, yada. I just cashed out at 850. So I came out like 750 ahead because my head hurt thinking of the ramifications. Oh, I could do this. I could do that. I, it's way over my head. It's kind of embarrassment, even the way it worked out. And, uh, I'm not going to raise my tiny bet limit. No, because it is dumb luck. Um, I'm hanging up the high roller rack for good. And with that, until next time, gamble on.